keep talking to people that you don't know that you should know. And I, what I mean by this is, um, you know, often as these companies, the technology companies are founded by technologists and they think they'll know all the answers, but they have to go talk to the economic buyer. They have to understand what the economic buyer is really thinking. And so my advice is never stop reaching out to talk to people. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. We're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, uh, Robert Levine. And uh, Robert grew up on Long Island and after high school went to college for a couple of years. Um, went out uh, to work in California as a mathematician uh, with a defense contractor for a period of time. Um, during that time, was taking a break from college for about three years and then went back to college or New York to, for college after that. Um, then went uh, to work for a bank for a period of time. Um, I think if I got it correct, he asked his boss for about $3 million to do a startup. Boss, or boss said yes. Uh, business uh, was a bit too early on, so uh, they ended up selling off the business. Um, but after that, I didn't want to go back to corporate America, uh, joined a friend startup uh, as a, a C-level individual, uh, pivoted the business to a services-based uh, company. Uh, the business partner wanted to go back to India, didn't have the money to buy it, so ended up selling out the business, decided to go to California and do an, an or be an advisor to help other startups and small businesses. Um, that business was self-funded, worked part-time uh, as well during that time, and uh, now is uh, continuing to pursue a business in cybersecurity with a, as a startup and, and having that idea. So with that much, hopefully is uh, mostly accurate. Welcome <laughs> on the podcast, Robert. Hey, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I just gave the 30-second version of a much longer journey. So um, take us back a, a bit in time to when uh, things got kicked off in uh, high school in Long Island. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I grew up on Long Island. I uh, went to high school uh, out in uh, Suffolk County. And, uh, you know, after, after high school, went to school, I decided to become a chemistry major. That wasn't really uh, what I ended up doing. But uh, after about two years, went to the West Coast. My parents got divorced and uh, one lived on the East Coast, one's West Coast. And uh, I did a stint at uh, Lytton Guidance and Control working for a mathematician. Um, doing uh, numerical analysis of all the crazy things, uh, writing Fortran. And uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, experience because what we were trying to do is control um, uh, ailerons on, uh, on missiles. And uh, just one question on that, because I think if I remember right in our conversation, you'd started college for a year or two before you went out to, to do that and working as, with the mathematician. So yeah. What made you decide to, you know, take a break from college, go be a, or work with a mathematician, you know, kind of what uh, caused that transition? You know, I think it was happenstance and luck. Um, uh, one is I, when I was in college um, doing this chemistry stuff, I was really much more interested in the computer science side of that whole story and uh, did a summer stint and out in California working for guidance control and uh, got really attracted to that and realized, I actually don't know what I want to do for a major. So I figured, let me go work for a couple of years and then go back. And so I ultimately did and went back to school at NYU. 
um, back uh, in New York. And then I, um, at that time, I was working at, uh, you know, a bank uh, downtown New York, um, running, you know, right at that juncture between applications and infrastructure, writing this thing called middleware, which was new. And, uh, you know, I ultimately became a managing director there. Uh, before you know it, I was running uh, 300 people, uh, was involved in all of our acquisitions of technology. And I was seeing what, you know, we would coin now today, the new, new thing. And in that timeline, I got very attracted to security and just started to seeing a lot more things in and around security. Um, I ran our internet infrastructure, which was nascent in those days, um, and uh, ran corporate email of all the crazy things that got thrown on my desk. And, and I ran a security infrastructure as well as a whole bunch of middleware. And um, along the way, I realized that this security stuff is really growing bigger and bigger. Now, and, one just quick question, because so if I back up just a little bit, New York, yeah. you went back to college, got the degree, and I think, and maybe this is where you're at, but I think we talked about you went and worked for a bank for a period of time, and that was after coming out of college. Is that the first step after? During, after and, during and after. Okay, so during and after, and the one thing that hit there that, you know, that sounded interesting is you're working at the bank and you're doing these things and then you're, you have an idea or you want to do a startup and so you go ask your boss for a few million dollars and- Yeah, I'll explain that whole guess. story. Yeah, yeah I, need to, right. I need to explain that story. You know, when, you're, when, you, when you decide to go back and, and, and take a degree after having spent some time, you're really going back with a much better view of what you want to do. And so I actually went to NYU in the Gallon division and it was a design your own major. And I took graduate courses from my undergrad. And one of them was actually, um, I wanted to learn about um, queuing theory um, because I was doing a lot of work in networks and, and uh, you know, knock on the door of the graduate teacher and the teacher says, well, well, why should I let you in my class? And you're like, well, this is what I want to learn. He goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I was doing this and that and the network stuff. He goes, oh, great. You're going to teach this part of the class and I'll teach you what you want to know. And so that was my experience in the college thing because I was working um, as well at that time. And what happened was in the late 90s, um, uh, uh, the company I was working for had a corporate venturing function running inside of itself. And um, that corporate venturing function actually allowed um, leadership to spin technology out and create a, basically what was a cost center and create it to be, become a profit center. So that whole function um, was really very interesting to me. And at the time I got connected to that team, here I was a technologist right, running in technology and I got connected to this banking and, and really corporate venturing team. And I'd never heard of that before. And these guys were investing um, in all sorts of stuff. Um, one of them was a security company, actually two of them were security companies. And I got connected to that because my department at the time was directly working with that field. And they reached internally within the corporation to find people that would know something about or could use their technology that they were also sponsoring. And that company was called um, Circo. And you know, somewhere along the line, I realized this is really interesting. So it wasn't my direct boss, it was actually, um, this thing was hanging off the vice chairman of the bank that was called um, BT Ventures. And I basically went to the head of that venture group and I said, I have a department that I'd like to spin out. And we went through that process, got $3 million and we spun the company out called TransIndigo. 
um, that's how it happened. It was part of the culture. The culture was very entrepreneurial in, in, in there. Um, no, so that, hey, that, that sounds like a, a good way to, to launch a startup and to, to get your uh, your first mm -hmm. inv or investor, so to speak, and to be able to do that. Now, as you go out and do that, and I think as we talked before, while it was, you know, an interesting or promising, you know, idea or a startup, he indicated it's probably a bit too early or it wasn't or things weren't quite in place to do that. So you ended up having to sell off the business. Is that right? Yeah. So the um, it was a technology called fine grained entitlements, which basically is, you know, helping applications define, externalize these authorization rules around, you know, what thing can talk to what thing and what asset can talk to what asset and these types of things. And it was just way too early in the market. And I realized that what we were working on internally um, at was way different than what most organizations were able to even understand or contemplate. And so ultimately that lesson from that experience was uh, market timing. The second lesson that I learned from that experience was also team, um, uh, you know, your core team members and, and that strategic fit between each of the core team members. Some folks were really great at the world of startups um, and could move, leave that corporate world and just really excelled in it. And some really got stuck. They just were not in the right place. Their heads were not in the right place. So, you know, but the big message there was market, uh, market timing. Uh, you know, there are companies now, probably good 15 years later um, that are doing pretty well in authorization services. Um, so we sold that to RSA, did not make money. Um, but uh, the CEO of RSA at the time put his arm around me and said, you know, the next time you'll make money. Um, and, you know, I, at that point, I had did not go with the sale of that company. I'd left and helped advise the sale of that. Um, and I was already thinking about, hey, what do I want to do next? And that's when I went into the next story, which was uh, this consulting company, which was six people where they were building a product actually at the time. And like the first one, this time I identified that market product fit and timing were wrong. Um, and, and I didn't identify it when I jumped in, I identified it after 9-11. And what happened was we were building a product that today um, the market would know as um, SAML, a security assertion markup language, which allows companies, it, when you log on to one machine, or, or let's say you log on to you know, company X and you're allowed to log on using your Facebook ID, that technology is ultimately was founded many, 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 many years ago in or around the, the primordial uh, DNA of what we were creating there. And um, ultimately what we decided to do um, with the second company that was called Senna was we basically um, took some advice from folks and decided that we, in the post 9-11 world, this product was not going to sell. And uh, we became a consulting firm in a nascent space that we thought would sell, which was called identity and access management. And we grew that company. Um, I was employee number six, but jumped in as the president and CEO. Um, and uh, we grew that company to 300 people. Uh, with operations in the US, UK, and Australia. Um, and the second lesson comes, <laughs> which was, you know, my business partner raises his hand and says, I really want to move back to India. Um, 
and we have to sell the company. And, you know, the lesson there um, I should have done is I should have mortgaged my entire house and just bought them out um, because we were on a gold mine. But it was also a strange time. It was, um, you know, the market wasn't doing well. This is around um, 2009, 2010. Market wasn't doing well. Um, and uh, it was risky, really way too risky. And at the time, I just didn't have the capital to actually buy it. I, I should have mortgaged everything and then probably then took a, a note um, to buy them out. Um, so we sold the business and, and then we really grew it. I mean, I really, really was able to grow it. Um, and uh, we made our earn out and that was fun. Um, but at the end, I realized that if I held on to that much longer, my gosh, I you know would have set ourselves up for a whole different story. Um, the when you sell your business to somebody else, their objectives are different than yours, and you have to recognize there's no longer your baby, and uh, that you know the cash flow you're generating can't be used for your next innovation. The cash flow you're generating is whatever the corporation that you sold it to's objective is, and. Um, that is actually probably the second lesson I should have bet more on myself um, there. And I would have made A, a lot more money, but B, I think the business would be in a completely different place. Now that ultimately was sold. Again, it's now part of KPMG. Well, and I had a great- out of curiosity, because I mean, in, in retrospect and in hindsight, though, it's 2020. I mean, it's hard when you have a business, you know, to say, oh yeah, just go mortgage your home, leverage yourself up to your eyeballs, because in the end, you know, it's going to work out and it's going to be a great opportunity. But at the time you're saying, hey, it's an uncertain time, market's not doing well, and I'm not sure if the business will go and those type of things. So if you're to look back, what would have been some of the indicators or reasons why, you know, you you would have, if you if you could look back and now be the Monday morning quarterback type of a thing, what would have been the indicators as, hey, I should have or held on or I should have found a way to buy out the partner? You know, at the time when we were making that decision, um, there were three members of the board. Um, I didn't have majority of that board. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when we were making that decision, it was... Um, one that even then I knew uh, that, you know, this is the wrong time. This is just the wrong time. And, you know, the firm that we, we sold it to, you know, I, I made great friends, learned a lot, um, but, you know, I probably could have learned those same lessons directly myself. And more than that, um, the freedom to invest the cash flow would have been a much different accelerant to the business than ultimately it ended up being. And at the time, um, what would be the indicators? One, my gut. Uh, two, um, I actually had a good sixth sense of that marketplace. And, and really we're talking to the top companies in you know, the top major banks in the country um, that were our clients. And nobody was giving us an indicator, even though it was a little scary, um, that, you know, this, this, this is no longer going to become a priority. Um, it was actually the opposite. I was getting the indicators that this was becoming a priority. And in the end, I had one quarter where I had negative cash flow through that recession. And, uh, you know, that, of course, was after the business was sold, but one quarter was our negative cash flow story. And, uh, you know, so 
No, and I think that, you know, is it, and it's one where it's, it's hard sometimes to say, well, is my gut, you know, the right thing to follow? And sometimes it absolutely is. And other times your gut leads you astray, but it's one of those where, you know, it, it is always hard because hindsight's always twenty twenty, And sometimes it's uh, also the experience that comes along with it. You just don't know until you're further down the road that you should have done something else. And if you had the decision to make over, over again, you might do it differently, but um, you know, it's one of those where you never know, it's hard to know at the time. So nonetheless, so you sold off the business, you know, you, you worked with them for a period of time, saw it grow. And then I think after a while, you decided to uh, move to San Diego and start uh, doing advisory help for startups. Correct. So one more comment on that previous one. I now know something. If my gut says it and I truly believe, bet on myself. That's absolutely um, you know, the, the lesson out of that, out of that last, you know, experience. Um, so I moved to San Diego and I decided I was going to do some part-time and, you know, don't cry for me. I did okay. Um, and, uh, I, uh, decided I was going to do some part-time advisory, um, and did that with, um, uh, a company, um, uh, that was involved in, uh, mobile authentication. And then we ultimately, uh, leadership team there, which I was part of, um, I was initially going to do it part-time and wound up being the COO full-time. Um, and ultimately, we made some pivot decisions, which were cut the, cut the team down size-wise, cut the burn. Um, the team also, we made a decision to pivot, which is actually things that you do in a, in a startup. When your market primary market is starting to twist and you're seeing other things happen, you have to make the decision quickly and rapidly within a startup to pivot. Now, this is a scary thing because you know startups have limited capital, have limited ability to, to turn corners multiple directions, multiple times, and you have to bring your entire team as well as your investors along with that ride when you make that pivot. So we pivoted that business um, into mobile authentication with identity verification. So the ability to actually look at your license, take a picture of license, compare it against a selfie with liveness detection, and then basically, then authenticate you using your mobile as being part of the mobile authenticator as part of the, you know, um, you know, something you have. Um, and um, we also made a decision there to go vertical into some very specific marketplaces to uh, pick on a Jeffrey Moore statement, pick on a market no bigger than yourself and dominate, right? And then, but make sure that market's growing. So that business we tied together with, um, the change that was happening with the banking software. The banking software was going from uh, a combination of, you know, roll your own um, and or these really big, very slow outsourced providers to nimble software companies that became, that built software packages that became also hosted providers. And we went right into that, if you will, that vortex um, and that, that, that sucked us into um, a whole bunch of business opportunity. And um, so the combined issue of mobile authentication, combined issue with how we choose to, chose to do that um, in the marketplace using both on-prem and some cloud components um, fit the marketplace. And that business is now doing fairly well. Um, I'm, you know, it, it took a few years and it was a rocky story as most uh, things can, can be. Um, and I'm really, really excited about uh, what's happening there. And I maintain a great friendship uh, with the entire team, actually. But along the way, I kept on having these ideas that would come up and that became the genesis to Trust4. 
which became the going back to my earlier statement of if you really believe, bet on yourself. So that's why I left Unicum or the mobile authenticator company. Almost put words in your mouth. It sounds like you know the it wasn't that that business wasn't doing well or there wasn't opportunity there, but there was just a idea or a um, you know something you wanted to pursue and that you'd learned your lesson over the previous you know experiences that you were or, you know you had a gut feeling you wanted to bet on yourself and so you decided hey now is the time I'm going to spin out and I'm going to do that for a period of time is that about right exactly in fact to wind down out of the previous business it took almost six months um, you know I gave enough notice um, it allowed me to have and negotiated the, the issue, allow me to do both my new company while helping the old because I didn't want to leave it in a lurch. Um, and so that took a little bit of uh, negotiation, but uh, yeah, it really became, I saw the market, I saw what was happening. I kept on seeing the problem and I saw solutions being made against the problem that didn't actually match with conversations that I would have not only with friends, but with prospects. And I said, huh, that's a really interesting problem. And, uh, you know, basically the, the genesis of this was when, you know, folks are moving their, uh, their entire portfolios of, you know, assets, meaning, uh, you know, technology assets into the cloud. Um, and of course, people are doing net new assets in the cloud as well. But when you do that lift and shift, and or create net new, the skill sets that are required to actually mitigate the risks that were, and they're different than what was in the traditional data center than what they're in the cloud. And the skill sets required are just like massively different and, and huge leaps that you have to do. And I realized, huh, this problem is not going away, it's getting worse. And uh, I, it was time to uh, create a new company um, and focus on this problem in a way that that met with what I heard. Don't require any code changes. Make it an easy plugin. Allow it to be incrementally driven app by app by app rather than having the whole freaking farm on it. And, and close material gaps that auditors and regulators are just pounding on customers for. And I realized we could solve that problem. And so created this company called Trust4. Um, I funded it. Um, and I continue to fund it, actually. It's self-funded right now. Um, and uh, we're going to be in the process of raising capital. In fact, we, we kicked off that process in January. Um, and uh, in the process of raising capital to take us all the way through the go-to-product phase. And then into the uh, like market phase. An exciting uh, journey. You bet on yourself. And now you get to yeah. see whether the bet will pay off. And fingers crossed that hopefully will. So that's, uh, that's certainly yeah. exciting. So. Yeah. Well, now as a, as we kind of catch to the you know where you're at where you know what your journey was up until the present day, always uh, always great to the end of each or as we discuss the end of each journey or the end or the or to the present, um, to have two questions I always ask at the end of each journey. So the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? What did you learn from it? I think the worst business decision I made I've already articulated. I didn't bet hard enough on myself. And I, I knew my gut was saying, do that um, and, uh, you know, figure out a way to, to make, you know, mortgage your future and, and do that. That'd probably be my worst business decision. Um, uh, probably be my worst. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think that that one, that one's a hard one because, you know, sometimes if you have like the confidence or you have the confidence, but it's still hard because money, real money's on the line, your livelihood may be on the line, time may be on the line, um, you know, whether or not it's, it's worthwhile to pursue, it's always a balance. And yet, you know, a lot of times you look back and say, oh, I should have bet on myself because that's the lesson you learned. And sometimes you just have to make that lesson or learn that lesson the hard way. And it, it, may, it makes it easier to make the next time when the opportunity comes to bet on yourself. Yes. Yeah. Where you got to. Second question I always ask is long or if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you give them? You know, I in my world of technology, probably the most important thing you need to do is keep talking to people that you don't know that you should know. And I, what I mean by this is. Um, you know, often as these companies, the technology companies are founded by technologists and they think they know all the answers, but they have to go talk to the economic buyer. They have to understand what the economic buyer is really thinking. And so my advice is never stop reaching out to talk to people. Um, you'd be amazed at how many people will talk to you when you just have a nascent idea because they want to help. Most people are generous and they just want to help. So you can reach out to folks who you wouldn't think would want to talk to you because you got nothing other than you know a crazy idea, and they'll actually help you. Um, so that'd be my 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 biggest recommendation. Oh, I think that's uh, definitely great, and I think that a lot of times people feel like they have to do it on their own, or they don't want to be a burden to others, or they don't want to you know, or people aren't going to be willing to help. And yet, I I agree with you most of the time on the flip side. People are happy to help more than willing to jump in and, uh, and answer questions and help you along their way because they've been there and they understand what you're going through. So I think, uh, you know, asking for that help and strategic, not overburdening people, not to, you know, just cons or, consist or persistently pestering someone, but to ask for those that, uh, when you need help and are looking for whether it's a sounding board or someone to provide a bit of guidance is definitely a great takeaway. Absolutely. As we, as we wrap up, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, or find out more? Uh, they can hit me on my um, uh, email or they can hit our website, trust4.com, and just hit the info or email is robert.levine at trust4.com, T-R-U-S-T-F-O-U-R.com. All right, perfect. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out to you, connect and uh, or support uh, support you along your journey and however they can. Um, and with that, we'll uh, go ahead and wrap up the podcast. And it's been, uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Now for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. A couple more things as, uh, as listeners, make sure to click subscribe, share, leave a review for the podcast because we want to make sure that everyone finds out about all these awesome episodes. Last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your small business or startup, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Robert, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good Bye. one. Bye.